Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Agent Kuyan and Dean Keaton to my Kaiser Soze, Joel and JC. Now, the show that's being released this week is The Usual Suspects, and we recorded this show, oh, a couple years ago, and uh, we wanted to rebrand it and reroute it uh, in a way that works now for the movie planet. So there is a bit of a, a reverb to everybody's voice, and I do apologize for that, but this is long before I knew what exactly I was doing with the soundboard and all that, so please forgive us for that one. This is a very, very good show. Uh, this week, we are tackling The, uh, the Usual Suspects. And on this show, we will be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon. Uh, the, the Mystery and Thriller Pantheon is comprised of seven and only seven films. In order to be inducted, it's got to be reviewed by us. Now, currently, there are zero films in there. So The Usual Suspects is going to get in. It's just a matter of what grade are we going to give it and how long will it be there? Because the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its butt from the preserve in the future. So we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. But in this case, we won't have to because there's nothing else in there. This is a spoiler-rich podcast. So if you haven't seen The Usual Suspects, it is best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But now that we've finished that business, let's get down to business! This week, we are talking about 1995's The Usual Suspects, a movie made for $6 million that raked in $34.4 which is probably around 50 now. Yeah, we will find out. Yeah. Directed by Brian Singer, written by Christopher McQuarrie, starring Gabriel Byrne as Dean Keaton, the guy that you said you liked in the film. I really, I really did enjoy him. I wasn't familiar with anything he had done in the past. Yeah. But I, for some reason, once I... Once I was able to like identify his face, because he does have a very white guy face to where he blends in <laughs> in the 90s, yeah. where I couldn't tell if it was him or somebody else. Once I was able to figure out who he was, um, I did. I liked his story a lot, and I'm surprised that I haven't seen him in more, or I don't recognize him for more. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Spacey as Roger Verbal Kent. And now, it's kind of funny that they put that in there. They don't put him as Kaiser Sose. They put him as Roger Kent in almost everything, because nobody wants to give away the ending to this film. Spoiler alerts. Uh, IMDB has him just as listed as Verbal Kent. Really? Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia, Verbal Kent. Anywhere you look, it's just Verbal Kent. They never say he's also the other guy. That's cool. Yeah. Smart. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like one of those... Uh, unsaid rules in sports. You know, yeah. it's like it's an unsaid movie. Which you just do not talk about this. Uh, Stephen Baldwin, Steve, not Billy, Stephen Baldwin as Michael McManus. Uh, Michael Bean was asked to audition for the role of McManus, but he passed on the offers because he found the script too confusing. Now, <laughs> I can see that. Michael Bean was also in Terminator. He was uh, Kyle Reese in yes, Terminator. Yes, yes, yes. He was an alien, aliens, I mean, as uh, Ripley's counterpart when they leave. Yes, yeah. He's that guy in all those movies. Okay. But he's also passed on so many things that could have built his star cachet, and this was one of them. Yeah. This is a movie that made a lot of people. It's funny. His, um, he, was he an alien? He was in Aliens. Aliens, I mean, yeah. Yeah. What year was that? Aliens was 1986. Oh, I'm on the wrong Michael Bean. Oh, B-I-E-H-N. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was in Terminator, mm -hmm. The Abyss, The Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, this, he did a lot of the uh, sci-fi. Oh, he's in Take Me Home Tonight. This movie also introduced people to the mainstream of Benicio Del Toro as Fenster, the man with the greatest 
voice problem ever. Mumbling Hispanic. <laughs> Which was his choice. He was like, I just want to do it this way because he's not important anyway, so why should we hear what he have to say? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Pollock is Todd Hackney. Loved Kevin Pollock. America's favorite smartass. Yes. We got ourselves Chaz Palminteri as U.S. Customs Agent Dave Kuyan. Uh, good interrogator? Gentlemen? <laughs> what do uh, you think? <laughs> I loved him. He plays a great detective. He really does. Um, and we'll get to it later. He was probably one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. Yeah. I like how he put things together as he was going. He's, I, I mean, because, again, we've talked, we're going to talk about how big Kevin Spacey's gotten. I think it's, that's obvious. We don't even have to talk about it. Yeah. But I think his role in this movie is so overlooked. The interrogator because of the other people in the movie mm -hmm. and because he's not a direct part of the suspects or any of that. I personally, and maybe not, maybe everyone else watches it and they really like him too. But I do think his role was way overlooked um, yeah. in this whole film. It's one of those things where <clears throat> he plays arrogant, smart cop so well that you genuinely think like he, there's even the line in there. I, I will find out the truth. Like you will tell me the truth because I'm smarter. Cause than I'm you. smarter than you. <laughs> and when you watch cop dramas today, like Blue Bloods and and uh, NCIS and all of those, you we have been trained as a modern audience that the cop will eventually outsmart you. Yeah. Like, you will be outsmarted. Can you name another movie, TV show, or anything where, at the end, the cops are still wrong? The only one I can think of, because I just watched it recently, was Basic Instinct. Yeah, Basic Instinct is, is another one. Um, and Weren't they wrong at the end of The Departed? Oh, were they? No, I don't think or did that. Or does everybody die? I, I was going to say, I think. Oh, wait. He gets away, in the only, and because you think he's going to get away, and spoiler alert, Mark Wahlberg <laughs> shows up, but Mark Wahlberg's not, he's not there as a part of the force. He's there as a person that wants to even things out. Yeah. So I'd have to rewatch Departed. I felt like at the end, the, I felt like everybody got to come up. It's I'd need to rewatch it. I always felt at the end of Departed that it was an easy way out because I don't think Scorsese knew what to do. At one point, it was like, just kill everybody. All right. Well, clearly we need to add that to the list. We'll see Departed later. <laughs> but, but, but my point was he, he acts this so well and he does so well. It's like you say, you think at the end, this guy will win out. He, he does a great job of acting it, but he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, we got Pete Postlewaite as Mr. Kobayashi. Oh. This guy's great in everything that he does. And I'm so sad he's dead. Well, it's kind of funny looking at this list. It's a bunch of B actors in all their films at that time, and they've all turned into great actors today. Mm. Now, this is, not, this is the second Pete Postlewaite movie we did. He was in Alien 3 also. Mm -hmm. Remember, that cast was a great cast. Exactly. Uh, Susie Amos as Edie Finneran. Uh, who I think says like three lines in the entire film. <laughs> is she the only girl? I think she is, yeah. Yeah, this is a boys club. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito as FBI Special Agent Jack Bear, uh, also better known <laughs> for Breaking Bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, I was, I was going to say it's just like, or no, who's the Jack character in 24 Hours? Isn't it Jack? Jack Bauer. Oh, Bauer. <laughs> Damn it. I was like, this is him early on. <laughs> and, and finally, the great... And powerful Dan Hedaya. Yeah. As Sergeant Jeffrey Jeff Raven. <laughs> One of the best voices in Hollywood. I love how they had to do Jeffrey Jeff. Jeffrey you didn't yeah. know Jeff was short for Jeffrey. Yeah, I don't understand why they did that at all. But this is the second movie we've done with Dan Hedaya because he was in Alien Resurrection. <laughs> in fact, we've got a couple of Alien 
alumnus in Have here. you noticed with a lot of the movies we've done post-Alien franchise, we just have to randomly say, oh, by the way, they were an alien. By yeah. the way. Oh, the, they, were, they were an alien. Like, we have to remind people <laughs> about the Alien franchise. Well, Stephen, we just have to keep doing it. Stephen Baldwin was McManus, uh, and Michael Bean was going to be up for the role. He was an Aliens. So, yeah. Uh, now, according to our, Oh, you want to say something? To go back to what we mentioned a second ago... The it would have made fifty five, almost fifty five and a half million dollars today. Okay, so I was pretty close, but yeah, fifty five and a half million dollars. It was thirty four, I think, back in nineteen ninety five, right? Thirty four point four. Yes. And how much? Because they shot it in thirty five days. Six million dollars no total way. budget. Yeah, they shot this entire movie in thirty five days, and they did it primarily to get uh, burn. Yeah, burn wasn't able to do it, and so they actually moved the production from New York. It was going to be shot. And sort of done in New York, they moved it to L.A. to accommodate Burn, and because of his shooting schedule for other stuff, they slammed it into 35 days. Huh. <laughs> they they shot hit the they shot the final scenes first. This is this is a That's... great segue into the making of the film. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. The setting is the 1993 Sundance Film Festival. You got to go back to 1993. Brian Singer's invited to show his directorial debut in the movie Public Access. Now, nobody saw this, I don't think. Uh, but Kevin Spacey was at the festival, and he's heard about the number of people who went to go see Singer's movie. So he approaches Singer and writer Christopher McQuarrie saying that he wants to be in whatever film they did next. Nothing happens. <laughs> A while later, Singer is reading a column in Spy magazine titled, quote, The Usual Suspects, after Claude Rains' line in Casablanca, and thinks, hey, that's actually a cool title for a film. Good job, Brian. Before you screwed things up. A a day later, a reporter (laughs) approaches Christopher McQuarrie and asks him what his next film is about, and his response was, "Uh, I guess it's about a bunch of of criminals who meet in a police lineup. (laughs) That was it. It's a nail on the head there. Yeah. Singer and McQuarrie talk about it, and Singer gives him the visual idea for a poster that has five guys who meet in a lineup. He asks McQuarrie, what could possibly bring these five felons together in one lineup? So McQuarrie goes home and revamps a story he had previously written, the story of a man who murders his own family and disappears. The writer mixed this with the idea of a team of criminals, and you get the basis for the usual suspects. Now, when creating the characters, McQuarrie pulled from the round the world around him. Kaiser Soze was based on a man named John List, a New Jersey accountant who murdered his family in 71 and then disappeared for two decades before assuming a new identity and ultimately being apprehended by the authorities. He based the name on one of his supervisors at an L.A. law firm he used to work. His name was Kaiser Sume. I can understand why they want to change it. I was going to say, <laughs> but Soze is Turkish for talks too much. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> but this is, the, this is the coincidental part. So one night he's hanging out in his roommate's room, and his roommate has this dictionary, an English to Turkish dictionary. Like you'd have one of those just hanging around. Uh, and in it, he finds the word Soze, which means talks too much. He goes, I'll use that. <laughs> <laughs> so we now call Joe Soze. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Verbal Sarah. Uh, all of the other characters' names are taken from the law firm's staff members. McQuarrie had also worked for a detective agency which influenced the depiction of criminals and law enforcement officials in the script. Now, McQuarrie's done a lot of work in script writing, but in this one, over five months, he wrote nine drafts of this. And even during the finished product, nobody knew at the end who Kaiser Sose was. That's impressive that he was able to keep that. Again, that, wouldn't, that would get leaked today. Oh, it's so yeah, in today's troll world? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Singer shops this thing around to studios, and nobody was interested except some European financing company. Uh, maybe they were Turkish. 
Who? Mm. Hungarian, perhaps. I don't Interesting. Know. Uh, the biggest problem, nobody liked the nonlinear story, the large amount of dialogue, and the lack of cast attached to the project, because they were all no-names. Uh, the studios wanted established stars, and, rolled, and the role of Redfoot was offered to Christopher Walken, Tommy Lee Jones, Jeff Bridges, Charlie Sheen, James Spader, Al Pacino, and Johnny Cash. And yet, the one guy they got, I thought it's was the, perfect for him. The bad guy from The Mask? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that guy's face. <laughs> there it is. Got a hate face. Well, again, I also grew up watching The Mask, and he was a total bad guy. To be honest, yeah. I also, as soon as I saw this the first time, I'm like, oh, it's the shit head from The Mask. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that, uh, what's his name, puts the golf ball in his mouth and... Tease off. That was a cool, yeah. That was a hard scene to watch as a as five a year old. Yeah. Oh yeah. As a golf. <laughs> Someone who divots every time. Yeah. Smack the side of his face. However, because of this little European financing company, it allowed the producers of the film to make offers to actors and assemble a cast on a very low budget. In fact, most of the actors' salaries were well below their usual pay. They all signed on because they loved the quality of the script and the chance to work with each other. So you have an ensemble cast of no names, and it basically makes all of them. I was gonna say none of them are no names anymore. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the money falls through. The European company pulls their cash, and the project is dead in the water with a script and a cast already set in stone. Now it's starting to look like Alien 3. Nice. Yeah. Cute. And so Singer pulls together all these pieces that he's put together and goes to Polygram, and Polygram decides to pick up the project. Polygram hadn't done much either at that point. So they're taking a gamble. They were like Blumhouse early on. So about casting, Singer said, you pick people not for what they are, but what you imagine they can turn into. To research his role, Spacey met with doctors and experts on cerebral palsy and talked with Singer about how it would fit dramatically in the film. They decided that it would affect only one side of his body. Now, according to Gabriel Byrne, the cast bonded quickly during rehearsals. Del Toro worked with Alan Shatarian to develop Fenster's distinctive, almost unintelligible speech patterns. According to the actor, the source of his character's unusual speech patterns came from the realization that, quote, the purpose of my character was to die. Del Toro told Singer, it really doesn't matter what I say, so I can go really far out with this and really make it incomprehensible. Good job. Yeah. And let me just say, he has one of the best exchanges in this film. Like, I laugh every time I hear it. When he says this line in the lineup, and you hear the guy go, in English, please. (laughs) (laughs) The budget was set at $5.5 million, and the film was shot in 35 days in L.A., San Pedro, and New York City. Spacey said they shot the interrogation scenes with Palminteri over a span of five to six days. Uh, the scenes were also shot before the rest of the film, just like you said. Yep. Yeah. Uh, during the editing phase, Singer thought they had completed the film two weeks early, but woke up one morning and realized that they needed that time to put together a sequence that convinced the audience that Dean Keaton was Soze, and then do the same for Verbal Kent because the film did not have the punch that Chris had written so beautifully. Can you imagine this film without those scenes, though? No. It does, it's, a, it's a subpar film, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to Ottman, one of the producers, he assembled the footage as a montage, but it still did not work until he added an overlapping voiceover montage featuring key dialogue from several characters and had it relate to the images. Early on, executives at Gramercy had problems pronouncing the name Kaiser Soze and were worried that audiences would have the same problem. The studio decided to promote the character's name. Everything that you saw at that time was, who is Kaiser Soze? Yeah, the trailer, everything that yeah. you watch. Which I suppose is a take off of who is John Galt. Yep. I heard that every single time they said it. Yeah. Two weeks before the film debuted in theaters, quote, who is Kaiser Soze posters appeared at bus stops and TV spots and told people how to say the character's name. Hmm. So, yeah, that's the making of. Now, do you guys remember the first time that you saw this? Joel, do you remember? Yes, Wednesday. <laughs> it was Wednesday. <laughs> hey, how about that? But it was Wednesday, but I think. you knew of it. <laughs> yeah. 
in that? scary movies. So when was scary movie coming? I didn't know that that's what it was referenced to, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just know you were like, oh, he's got a limp and he's not anymore. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> the uh, spoiler alert for people who have been like just waiting to go watch scary movie. The end of scary <laughs> movie ends almost exactly like this. Yeah. And isn't it Dewey? Yeah, like Dewey or yeah. <laughs> Walking away, Definitely and do. all of a sudden, his just he's like limping or like walking pigeon toed, and then his feet just start walking normal. <laughs> and so the I looked up yesterday, eight and a half minutes into the movie, when Spacey walks in dragging his foot, I was so upset <laughs> because I was like, I've seen this before, and damn you, Marlon Wayne! I looked at one of my roommates. I was like, is this? What movie was that? I was like, this is in something else. Like, I know for a fact this is in something else. <laughs> and so I paused the movie and I found a scary movie. I'm like, son of a gun, man. <laughs> I was, oh, I was so upset. Yeah. But I mean, like they took it like almost shot for shot. Yeah. Stole it shot for shot. But as they did, that's what scary movie was. They just stole a bunch of movies and put it together. And it was funny for the time. Um, but now you're realizing it's ruining movies you've never seen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Not to a go lot on. of Shyamalan. A lot of Shyamalan ruined for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to go on a tangent here, but scary movie was a really good parody movie. It was. A gr- oh, yeah. It was right. the follow-ups that were a problem. That's yeah. the thing. It's like Alien. If you would have stuck to one and two yeah. and stopped it and left it there then it would go down as people saying, oh, this is one of the better uh, sets of movies. It's but. on Caddyshack level if you just take the one or two. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. That's why we don't talk about Caddyshack 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about it someday. <laughs> maybe, just like, maybe, maybe I'll nominate the one just as a gag and we just like rip it apart. I've there never you. seen it. You never seen Caddyshack two? I didn't know because I love Caddyshack one. I was like, oh, I've got to stop. I've got to <laughs> pretend that two, I've got to pretend that two doesn't even exist. Okay, I want to watch it with you because it's a totally different animal. I don't know, and it is funny. <laughs> it's Randy Quaid is still good. At I, I do love Randy Quaid, but Caddyshack is Caddyshack is in like my top one movies of all time. Yeah, and <laughs> top one. It's like, <laughs> top, well, that there's that. That. <laughs> that, that narrows it down. No. That, JC, do you remember the first time you saw it? Uh, I was in college, uh, and it was with uh, my friend Messi, and he had all of his collection of movies, and we sat down and watched it, and was captivated, and. Messi, I remember being pissed because I was the one that had never seen it, mm-hmm. and a bunch of the other guys in the room had. And apparently, throughout the film, I was ignoring them. Yeah. But Messi kept getting pissed because other people kept trying to drop hints to me <laughs> so that they would spoil the ending. <laughs> and Messi would get so angry, and I was clueless the whole time. <laughs> That's and, a dick and, and so, when it got to the ending, I was like, what? <laughs> and then everybody was making fun of me because I hadn't picked up on the hints that everybody had been dropping the whole time through the movie. Yeah. So I was everybody's punching bag that evening. Gosh, man. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you're about to watch a mystery. Here's another mystery on top of it. Figure this out. Uh, I know for myself, I'm pretty sure I was in college when I first saw it. Uh, I do remember the first time my mother saw it because she came home after going out with my father and was so excited. She kept telling me, oh, who's Kaiser Sose? And she tried to explain it to me, but she was trying to explain it to me in a way to not give away any details. Which, okay. when you're 14, 15 years old, you're sitting there going, I don't care about this. Well, clearly. And then a year, like a few years later, you go, I should have seen this in 1995. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she, who's Kaiser Soze? And I just remember hearing that nonstop and wondering, Kaiser, like K-E-I or K-A-I-S-E-R, like German? K-E-I-S-E-R is Kaiser. K-A-I would be the K-A- German spelling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We're going to do a little synopsis of the movie here. So uh, I'm going to read through this entire thing because it's so nonlinear. It's hard to stop and keep going and all that. You're not allowed to talk. 
Okay, I won't. No talking. Yes, sir. So here I go. The butcher. There is no Kaiser Soze. Who is Kaiser Soze? He's supposed to be Turkish. Some say his father was German. Nobody ever believed he was real. Nobody ever knew him or saw anybody that ever worked directly for him. But to hear Kobayashi tell it, anybody could have worked for Soze. You never knew. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. One story the guys told me, the story I believe, was from his days in Turkey. There was a gang of Hungarians that wanted their own mob. They realized that to be in power, you didn't need guns or money or even numbers. You just needed the will to do what the other guy wouldn't. After a while, they come into power and then they come after Soze. He was small time then, just running dope, they say. They come to his home in the afternoon looking for his business. They find his wife and kids in the house and decide to wait for Soze. home to find his wife raped and children screaming. The Hungarians knew Soze was tough, not to be trifled with, so they let him know they meant business. They tell him they want his territory, all his business. Soze looks over the faces of his family, then he showed these men of will what will really was. rather see his family dead than live another day after this. He lets the last Hungarian go. He waits until his wife and kids are in the ground, and then he goes after the rest of the mob. He kills their kids. He kills their wives. He kills their parents and their parents' friends. He burns down the houses they live in and the stores they work in. He kills people that owe them money. And like that, he's gone. Underground, nobody's ever seen him since. He becomes a myth, a spook story that criminals tell their kids at night, rat on your pop and Kaiser Soze will get you. And no one ever really believes. Do you believe in him, Verbal? Keaton always said, I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of him. Well, I believe in God. And the only thing that scares me is Kaiser Soze. On the deck of a ship in San Pedro, California, a figure identified as Kaiser speaks with an injured man called Keaton. The two talk briefly, then Kaiser appears to shoot Keaton before setting the ship ablaze. The next day, FBI agent Jack Bear, played by Giancarlo Esposito, and U.S. Customs Special Agent Dave Kuyan, played by Chaz Palmenteri, arrive in San Pedro separately to investigate what happened on the boat. 27 people have been killed in the fire. There appear to be only two survivors, a crippled man named Roger Verbal Kent, played by Kevin Spacey, and a hospitalized Hungarian criminal and crewman. 
Bear interrogates the Hungarian who claims that Kaiser Sose, a Turkish criminal mastermind with a nearly mythical reputation, was in the harbor killing many men. The Hungarian begins to describe Sose while a translator interprets and a police sketch artist draws a rendering of Sose's face. Meanwhile, Verbal Kint tells the authorities everything he knows in exchange for immunity. After making his statement to the district attorney, Kint is placed in a police station office of Sergeant Jeff Rabin, played by the great Dan Hedaya, where both he and Kuyan requests to hear the story again from the beginning. Verbal's tale starts six weeks earlier in New York City, when an armored truck containing spare gun parts is hijacked in Queens. The driver of the stolen truck was grabbed from behind and never saw the person or persons who accosted him, but the unknown hijacker spoke to him. Subsequently, the NYPD round up five different criminals. Dean Keaton, who is a corrupt former police officer, played by Gabriel Byrne, who has apparently given up his life of crime and is arrested while eating dinner at a fancy restaurant. Michael McManus, played by Stephen Baldwin, is a crack shot with a temper and a wild streak, arrested in the middle of the night in his bed. Fred Fenster, played by Benicio Del Toro, is McManus's Hispanic partner who speaks in mangled English and is nabbed on a street corner. Todd Hockney, played by Kevin Pollack, who is a car mechanic and part-time hijacker who forms an instant rivalry with McManus and is picked up while working on a car in his garage. And Verbal Kint himself, who is a con artist that suffers from cerebral palsy. The five men are brought together for a lineup and are told to say the phrase, Give me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. They all manage to butcher the phrase. Later, while sitting in a holding cell, McManus convinces the others to join forces to commit a robbery targeting New York's finest taxi service, a group of corrupt NYPD police officers who escort smugglers to their destinations around the city. Their attack on one smuggler goes off without a hitch, with farther-reaching consequences as numerous other officers are indicted on corruption charges. With their loot, the quintet travels to California to sell it to McManus's fence, Redfoot, played by Peter Green. Redfoot talks them into another job, robbing a purported jewel smuggler named Saul Bass. Instead of jewels or money, as they were told he was carrying, the smuggler had heroin. An angry confrontation between the thieves and Redfoot reveals that this job came from a lawyer named Kobayashi, played by Pete Postlewaite. The five criminals, criminals later meet with Kobayashi, who claims to work for Kaiser Sose and blackmails them into destroying the cargo of a ship coming to a San Pedro harbor. In the present, Verbal Kint tells Kuyan the story of Kaiser Sose as he apparently heard it. Verbal's flashback reveals Sose's family being harassed by a rival Hungarian gang in Turkey. Sose goes on a murderous vendetta against all those who were involved. Afterwards, he apparently disappears. Thereafter, he rarely conducts business with any alias and maintains anonymity between himself and anyone working for him. With time, Sose's story takes on a mythic stature, with most people either doubting his existence or disbelieving it entirely. Back in the present, Kent continues to tell his version of what happened then. His flashback resumes to reveal Fenster's attempt to run away, but he is tracked and killed off-camera by Kobayashi. The remaining four thieves kidnapped Kobayashi, believing Sose to be a cover for his activities and intending to kill him if he does not leave them alone. Before McManus can execute him, Kobayashi reveals that lawyer Edie Finneran, played by Susie Amos, Keaton's girlfriend, is in his office. Kobayashi also says that he has the will, the information, and the means to injure or kill the remaining four criminals' relatives if they do not go with, through with the arrangement. On the night of the cocaine deal... The sellers, a group of Argentine mobsters, are on the dock, as are the buyers, a group of Hungarian mobsters. K 
Keaton tells Verbal to stay back and to take the money to Edie if the plan goes awry so she can pursue Kobayashi her way. Verbal reluctantly agrees to do so. He watches the boat from a distance, in hiding, as Keaton, McManus, and Hockney attack the men at the pier in a huge gunfight. During the battle, Hockney is killed as Keaton and McManus discover separately that there is no cocaine on the boat. Meanwhile, the Hungarians, yet untouched by the thieves, are being picked off by an unseen killer, and a closely guarded Hispanic passenger is killed by an unseen assailant. McManus is killed with a knife to the back of his neck, and Keaton, turning away to leave, is shot in the back. A figure in a dark coat appears, presumably Kaiser Sose, and lights a cigarette with a gold lighter. He appears to speak briefly with Keaton before apparently shooting him, the scene which began the film in Medias Res. In the present, with Verbal's story finished, Huyan reveals what he has deduced with the, age, with the aid of Agent Bayer. The boat hijacking was not about cocaine, but rather to ensure that one man aboard the ship, the Hispanic passenger held captive named Arturo, one of the few individuals alive who could positively identify Sose, is killed. After Sose presumably killed the man, he eliminated everyone else on the ship and set it ablaze. Huyan reveals that Edie has also been killed. Huyan has concluded that Keaton was Kaiser Sose. Verbal admits that the whole affair from the beginning was Keaton's idea. His bail having been posted, Verbal departs with his immunity. Verbal retrieves his personal effects from the property officer as Kuyan, relaxing in Raven's office that he used for the interrogation, notices that details and names from Verbal's story are words appearing on various objects around the room. Redfoot is the name of a wanted poster, for example, and Kobayashi is written on the bottom of a coffee cup that Verbal handled earlier. Quickly putting the pieces together, Kuyan realizes that Verbal made up practically the entire story as he talked. He runs outside just as a fax arrives with the police artist's impression of Kaiser Sose's face, which resembles Verbal Kint. As he leaves the police station, Verbal's distinctive limp gradually disappears and he shakes out his palsied hand. He steps into a waiting car driven by Mr. Kobayashi, departing just as Kuyan comes outside to see too late that Kint is gone. Verbal Kint is Kaiser Sose, so how much of his narration was truthful is open to interpretation. Now, according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 86%. That's 19 fresh reviews and three rotten. The critics, on average, gave this film a 7.17 out of 10. The critics' consensus reads... Expertly shot and edited, The Usual Suspects gives the audience a simple plot and then piles on layers of deceit, twists, and violence before pulling out the rug from underneath. Now, the audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 4.49 out of 5, with 90% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. So, what did you have to watch in this film, Joel? Uh, it was good. <laughs> it, I, uh, I like the, uh, the twist at the end where they're trying to push it on to Keaton. I thought that was great. Um, it was it was kind of hard for me to follow. I think I rewound this movie about five times uh, <laughs> just to try to figure out like the purpose of like what they were trying to do, who Sose was, and why he was setting all this up. But so I mean, you were actively trying to figure out the mystery. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, I did, and I don't. I don't even think that it was because. Again, we said way back. It's I had an idea that it was spacey the whole time. Yeah. However, there were times in the movie where, you know, they say, I've got to take care of business with so-and-so. And you see Spacey's like 
face go, oh, F. Like, it, yeah. And you see his facial reactions to where I was surprised that more people didn't see it coming in the theater. Mm-hmm. Like, if, I mean, if you just watch Spacey's face, face during the movie, he gives himself away a lot as far, oh, as, yeah. as far as him, like, trying to process, like, how to twist this and that. I, I did think, we, again, we talked about it when, with the making of. You said, if you don't have the scenes where, they're, where they twist it on the Keaton, mm-hmm. it's just an average movie. Yeah. And you're absolutely right because the whole time I was watching it, I knew, because also he's the only one alive. I mean, he's the only one they're interrogating the whole time. So you know he might have something to do with it. But the moment that they twisted it on him, I was like, oh, that was great. Yeah. That was, that was a very, very good way to twist that at the end. So, I mean... I I did not think it was a waste of time by any means. Yeah. Uh, JC, how about you? What did you think after watching this film? Um, After watching it the second time, I was like, to be completely honest, it was still a good movie to me. But Mm. after listening to what you guys were talking about, I also, part of me wonders, crap, I need to go watch it a third time. (laughs) And here's why. If I'm being honest, at the end of watching it the second time, I was like, yeah, that's still a good movie. Yeah. But... Then I wonder, I completely didn't think about it translating. I watched it nostalgically. I watched it because this was literally the second time I'd ever seen it. So I watched it this time knowing the ending. I'm like, so literally my goal this time watching it was, okay, can I piecemeal everything together uh, and and figure it out? Which some things I recognize, some things I still missed. And I almost, so at the end, I still liked it. I almost want to watch it a third time now because I almost... I didn't watch it critically. And like, it's kind of funny because doing this podcast has sort of changed me to where like I watch these things and I do them critically. But You almost can't help it at this but, point. But, exa- but this one, I legit just watched it to see if I could figure it out. Yeah. And I think it's because it was the second time. And okay. because it was the second time, I wanted to see if I could see the ending coming, which I could in some instances. But I didn't watch it critically. I watched it to see if I could piece it together before it pieced itself together. Okay. That's how I watched it this time. All right. Uh, for me, I, my first thing is this film is friggin' brilliant. Uh, after watching it the first time, I remember thinking, I have to watch this again now that I know the twist mm-hmm. and see how it fits together. But when I first saw this, before they get into blaming it on Keaton, before they get into verbal lying about it possibly being somebody else and then Kuyan taking the lie and going, it's Dean Keaton. He's Who else can engineer a lineup? I thought in my head it's going to be Kobayashi. Okay. Because he seems like the one who is, has the least amount of story. And would it be interesting if it was him? When yeah. they reveal it's Keaton, I'm like, oh, my God. And then when they're like, oh, it's not him, even up until you see the limp turn into a walk, I'm still thinking it's going to be Kobayashi. You're going to see a car pull up on verbal, and it'll be Kobayashi shooting him and driving away. Oh, okay. So and even, instead, yeah. that's not what happens. And now when I watch it, I try to watch it in a way where I'm like, Okay, who else could it have been out of everybody there? Because Hockney's lied about. He, you know, he tells about, oh yeah, he, I, don't, I don't know why I'm in this lineup. It turns out he was the one that stole the guns. So everybody's, nobody's trustworthy. Mm-hmm. The only person they bump off first is Fenster, so you know it's not him. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is a shame, because I would have loved some more Del Toro in this, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's play a game of Did the Awards Get It Right? Uh, at the Academy Awards, at two nominations, two wins. Best Supporting Actor, Kevin Spacey wins. Uh, and when he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, Spacey said, well, whoever Kaiser Soze is, I can tell you he's going to get gloriously drunk tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good But he was up against James Cromwell for Babe, which I always found an interesting choice. Yes. Uh, no, he does a great acting job in no, Babe. He really does. But it's just you don't, 
usually see movies like Babe yeah. getting oh. Oscar nominees, you know? Like, James Cromwell's done a lot of good work. Like I'm that. like, why Babe? Why not L.A. Confidential? Because it's what he's known for. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. If you think James Cromwell, what do you think of first? Bad man. My, see, I picture Babe. I picture Babe. I picture Babe. I picture, the, I, I picture from L.A. Confidential. His character in that. Yeah, no. If, if I see James Cromwell, I actually I think of two characters. Either the general's daughter, where he's one of the generals, mm-hmm. or Babe. Uh, Ed Harris for Apollo 13 was up. Brad Pitt for 12 Monkeys and Tim Roth for Rob Roy. So do you guys Damn, think that yeah, Kevin that's... Spacey was the right person for this? Because I want to say almost Ed Harris. I would say Ed Harris or Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was so good in 12 Monkeys. He was crazy in that movie. So, but the, uh, this is one of those where I can't say they got it wrong, mm-hmm. but if anybody else on this list, even Tim Roth and Rob Roy, if anybody else on this list would have won, I'd have been like, yeah, that, that would, yeah. Jill, what do you think? Um, He's never seen any of these movies. I haven't seen enough to. <laughs> no, but you do, you, I, I, I think we'll get into it later. There is an issue you have with Kevin Spacey with line reading. So. I. He's he's such a good actor, yeah. and he really invests into his characters. I did, I don't I never think about it until I watch him. Like it's really also it's also hard for me to watch Ga- uh, not Game of Thrones, um, House of Cards. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, Scandal. laughs> House of House of Cards sometimes because and maybe it's just I've seen so much stuff that he's in. Again, I love him in Saturday Night Live. I love him in Small Things. He's a great comedic um, actor. He is, oh, he's amazing. Um, I even liked him in Horrible Bosses. Oh, uh, yeah. He was, he was the bad he was boss. He great in Horrible Bosses. Um, but something, like, when he speaks on screen, I hear him and I'm thinking, he should be on stage. Okay. Like, there's something about the way he delivers lines that is very theatrical. But it's almost like you can tell he's done Broadway, or you can tell he's done off-Broadway, to where I feel that when I'm watching him act, I'm like, yes, this is an actor. Like, he's acting. Yeah. I, do, it's, I don't get lost in him as a character. I just end up watching the whole movie as him reading lines. Okay. Um, which is weird. But What could that be? I don't know. It's a nice little metronome, isn't it? It is, yeah. Hmm. It's like an ominous feeling. Oh, you want a dark and ominous. <laughs> hmm. I love the soundtrack <laughs> so much. <laughs> oh, I just looped this over what we're talking about. <laughs> um, okay. The next one was best original screenplay. Macquarie won for yeah. Usual Suspects, but Braveheart was up, Mighty Aphrodite by Woody Allen, Nixon, and Toy Story. Joss Ooh. Whedon helped with Toy Story? Look at the names on Toy Story. You had Joss I Whedon, Joel Cohen. Andrew Stanton, Joel Actually, Cohen. A- yeah, this that. is a different Cohen brother. This was yeah. a, this isn't C-O-E-N. To be oh, f- yeah. that makes to, sense. Alex Sokolow, John Lasseter, and Pete Docter, and John Raft. All these guys are big guys now with Pixar. To be fair... The fact that Macquarie did it by himself, and when you know all of what he went through, I think they got it right. Yeah. But Toy Story, it's good, but is it good? Because look at all the names that you had to do it, whereas Macquarie did it by himself. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty fantastic. But Usual Suspects, I got to give it to that because it's it's, it's a, a pretty script. good screenplay. It's great, uh, and I know that people kind of poo 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 anybody that goes up against Woody Allen. <laughs> but I've never really been a Woody Allen fan. No. Never uh, seen 
I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a Woody Allen mm-hmm. film. No, I, really. I, I haven't nor, from nor to do end. I care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only Woody Allen film I think I can honestly say he's my Nickelback. Oh, Woody Allen is my Nickelback. People f- just like Woody Allen to say they do, and I no, I don't give two <laughs> shits about Woody Allen. <laughs> is that Nickelback or is that the opposite of Nickelback? I thought Nickelback yes. was fans that you like. We need to go back and listen to that podcast. I, <laughs> I always see it as Nickelback basically guilt, guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasures, like something that oh, you well, kind well, of no. enjoy, well, the, even though you're not supposed to. There has to be a term to. for that. There has to be a term for like. What is the term for where everybody says how great it is, and then you're no, no, it's no the, the Bjork, John Mayer. <laughs> the John- <laughs> oh, I don't like John, John Mayer. I don't films. like John Mayer either. <laughs> I like. I might get in trouble for saying this. I do. I I think he is phenomenally talented. I think oh, he's, he's a great guitarist. Of, amazing. I just. That was one where I couldn't figure out like what everyone was going so bonkers about. Yeah, yeah, I didn't care. <laughs> uh, and at the Golden Globes, they had one nomination. It didn't win for it, but it was Best Supporting Actor. Brad Pitt won again. Twelve I, Monkeys. Yeah, uh, but John Leguizamo was in there for two. Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. I forgot that was a movie. I did too. But wasn't Patrick Swayze in that also? I don't, I remember the script like I it, yeah. it had the like the old nineteen forties nineteen thirties. It was about three drag queens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, on to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we pick our top three things we like for scenes we like in this movie, and then we choose three things we dislike about the film and or that we find the weakest. Let's start with the top three. Uh, Joel, uh, uh, what are your top three things you want to highlight in this movie? All right, so I've already mentioned the... Uh, I like <laughs> JC's poking Joel now. <laughs> I like that they uh, push the crime on Keaton, but since I've already said that, I want to go with the music. The you, music? Um, the intro is super long. Yes. Um, reminds me of Rush Hour 2. <laughs> where they're painting over the before they get on the boat. That's our daily rush hour. R- remind me that I have a rush hour story for Ooh, you. Can't wait. Um, but no, so the the intro is very you know mystery like you know you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. Yeah. But I don't mind because it sets a tone very. It, the music sets the tone so well, and I noticed throughout the movie I was like. I don't know who did the soundtrack on this, but good for them. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who it was, honestly. I yeah. don't know. Number two. Not that um, any of us are not standing in front of computers and can look it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number two is the casting of Pollock. I loved Pollock. But I think casting in general, we talked about, you know, we have a bunch of B actors, but they did a really good job bringing B actors together. Pollock was great. Um, Spacey, obviously, is just completely blown up since then in a good way. Mm-hmm. And again, the underappreciated uh, Chaz Palmentary. Palmentary? Yes. Palmentary? Palmentary. Palmentary. I got it right the first time. All right. You got it. Nailed all it, man. You're in a right, name right, game today. But my number one, just the idea for the movie. I think the screenplay was great. Um, I think there's probably a lot more in the philosophical that I missed that I'm willing to watch through again to okay. try to like pick stuff out for the second time now that I know the purpose of it. Yeah. JC, um, how about you? What are your top three? My top three are the introduction of the characters in the lineup, and I know that's very cheesy and easy to say, but there's a reason why it's easy to say, because it's really awesome Yeah, how you get to know all of them, and of course, when they each say their line and they all do their own take on it, it's, <laughs> I love that. Um, I love the reveal. The, it, uh, granted, I've only seen it twice, so okay. both times the reveal worked for me. Um, I actually missed the, the Kobayashi at the bottom of the cup the first time I, I watched it. So I caught that this time. Okay. Um, and then my number one is Kobayashi. Really? Because I think there is more to that character. 
Yes. I almost feel like Kobayashi is still somehow the mastermind. Okay. And I He is driving the car, right? And, and this <laughs> this time, the second time I watched it, I watched it to see if everything went the way Kevin Spacey says it's gonna go. Okay. I almost want to watch it a third time to figure out is Kobayashi pulling the strings the whole time? Like there's just intrigue upon intrigue upon intrigue on this. And and mm-hmm. I'm I love Kobayashi as a character because he's not in there very much. But his only job when he is in there is to give you facts. Yes. That's all he does is give you facts. And it's like, what else does he know? Each of you has stolen from From Mr. Sosa. Sosa. All right. Joe, Uh, what are your three? uh, Mine is the way the entire story makes sense when explained that it was Dean Keaton all along. You actually buy it. Because at the time, you really don't know that Verbal's lying. Yeah. And the fact that at the end, you find out the lie. It appreciates the fact that you had a lie that Kuyan could create an entire theory over and make it so that Verbal is actually the victim and Dean Keaton is the mastermind. Uh, my second one is any scene with Kevin Pollock. He's such a great smartass. Uh, and uh, the twist at the end is my number one. It's, <coughs> it is such a brilliant direction to have. And it's a twist on a twist. The sad thing is, though, it's been talked about so much. Are there many people that can watch this and not see it coming? I think it's a... And I talked to Joel before he got here, and that was... It's a lot like knowing Darth Vader is Luke's father. Yes. Everybody yeah. knows at this point. And it's, it's so, and it's been ruined. But if, yeah. if you can legit see that without knowing it... Oh, it's so good. Yeah. This is a movie that when you watch it today, 20-plus years later... And you know what the ending is. You have to watch it just for the simple element of, I want to watch a good story that leads to what I know. Yeah. Um, Joel. <laughs> Joel. 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 That's you. Uh, yeah, me? <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on to the bottom three. Time to vent. Joel, hit us with it. Uh, I My number three, I did not like Billy Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. Stephen? Yeah. Yeah, it's Stephen. Yeah. Billy was in uh, Backdraft. Sure. We'll go. No, that was. That was Billy. Stephen Baldwin. Was it? No, that was Alec. Alec was not in backdraft. Stephen Baldwin. (laughs) They're all the same to me. (laughs) The Baldwin brothers. A Baldwin is a problem. (laughs) I like, uh, no, I like 30 Rock. But no, I did not like Baldwin. Okay. His character, even you said it. Like he's he's too much. Yeah. He's a little too much. Do you think Um, it it was his delivery of the lines or just the lines themselves? (sighs) A little bit of everything. Um, Which gets me into like my next. My number two is just like lazy f bombs. They're like they were just like using them to use them. Like yeah. in the, there are a lot of f bombs in The Departed, but <laughs> it's like yeah, we've been to Boston. That's kind of the way they talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just so uh, I, I'd fit in well at Boston, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but like there were a lot in The Departed, but it somehow like flowed well. I felt like a lot of them were just like being forced, almost like like an umpire trying to like get his like punch out right he's like oh and you oh you know what and f you and like <laughs> then someone like comes back and they like rear up their fist like oh and guess what f you too and like someone was like all right like easy guys like it's fine yeah um the line reading got to me a little bit the okay. cliche lines of like yeah well who wants to know <laughs> or you bring enough guys even though i love pollock's character he had so many just cliche 
but they weren't like, cliche in '95. This was the this is the this yeah, is the origin of it all. That, it's cliche now. That's the Maybe. problem. Is is Joel is is a young youngin that's watching this and is like, oh man, I've already heard this before. But that's why but I love hearing what he has to say because when you originator. have this background that he has, no, he don't. sees this film in a different way, and I gotta appreciate that. Could you imagine the ladies would get if we had his background like we do? <laughs> <laughs> um, and. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, mom. <laughs> oh man. Um, my number one, the thing that got to me the most was I didn't believe that the cops were actual cops. Like there were, like the police officers that were doing the, uh, like the runs. What were they called? The oh, the New York's finest. New York's finest. Yeah, yeah. They. They were not like they were just such dopes. They were these these fat losers. They were Keystone cops. They were cheesy nineties cops. They were yes, yeah. And and I do understand, you know, for the time. And I didn't hold that against them. Yeah. But in watching this, I was like, that's the dude that they got to play the idiot in like some TBS sitcom. <laughs> like he is not like I wouldn't hire him to handle my money. And it's just especially the first heist. It was just a bunch of just slobs in a car that fall out when they're trying to get out and. They can't, like, make their words work. <laughs> I don't know. Um, words? You know, no, you know what was big at that time, JC? NYPD Blue. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, so there's your probably, template for Probably every a play movie. on this, yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I just, for some reason, the the police officer's in. I was like, well, no, no, duh, some of these guys got away. <laughs> these guys can barely tie their shoes. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's ouch. <laughs> not the interrogators, not Hidea. Yeah. And uh Kuyan. Not my boy. Kuyan. Yeah, Kuyan. Yeah. But the other ones that were had very small parts like, oh, well, yeah, I'd, I can get away with that too. Okay. Uh JC, what are your three? Uh dialogue. I forgot like the first time you watch it, you know something's going on and so you want to pay attention. The second time I watched it, the movie is much slower. Okay. There's really not a whole lot of action. It's a lot of people just talking. Yep. And I didn't notice that until the second time. And it's sort of like the movie felt slow. All right. And that leads into my next one. After you watch it the first time, the movie feels slow. Okay. Like it, it feels like it's a movie that's dragging. Yeah. Now, it, it wasn't dragging enough for me to say, wow, this is horrible because I had a. And maybe that's the problem is I've never watched this without a goal. So I've always had a reason to be watching oh, okay. it. Yeah. Like the first time I watched it, it was every like I know there's a twist. I need to figure out what the twist is. Yeah. Second time I was watching it to figure out, okay, can I see the twist coming? And because I always had a goal, because I always had something I was looking for, did I in a way engage my brain and entertain myself more than if I was just watching this just to watch it? It, it drags. <laughs> yeah. It's very slow. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to keep you intrigued because it's just people talking. Not that we want people to just listen to people talk for two hours. If you don't know what to expect, it plods. But if you know what to expect, it doesn't. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That, you're absolutely right exactly. about that. And my number one is it wouldn't work today for like things Joel has already said, for things you're about to say. Mm-hmm. It is not realistic anymore, which makes it a period piece, which is kind of sad because I feel like lately we've been able to watch a lot of older films and they still relate to today. Like yeah. they still somehow, and this is not the first because we found others, but this is one of the first in, in a long time, maybe a couple months, where literally you have to look at it and be like, yeah, you have to pretend you're 
pre-internet. You're, you're, in, you're in the you're 1990s. In yeah. You're in the 1990s, and and uh, Encarta Encyclopedia is not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing now? No. Okay, I was going to say, I didn't, because <laughs> I remember Encarta, like the CD ROM you had to get in your classroom. Can I just say that I loved Encarta Encyclopedia because it had the little sound clips and whatever the flugelhorn was, I would listen to the flugelhorn sound clip over and over because it was awesome. <laughs> I almost want, and I've actually tried Googling like Encarta flugelhorn sound clip just to re listen to it again. But I remember as a kid, I would listen to that and the trumpet because the trumpet was some Haydn symphony that I really liked. And I would just listen to those sound <laughs> clips over and over and over. This is before uh, Napster. Oh, so, yeah, sure. so, so I wasn't, I wasn't, not that I ever used Napster. Don't listen. No, to I did. This. No. Uh, <laughs> all right, Joe, what are your, what are your bottom three? Uh, for me, the shot of the ropes at the end, there's nobody there. <laughs> there's, yeah. There's nobody there at all. I look so hard every time. <laughs> what am I I'm like, am I going to find an eye in there? It's like, Nothing. It's one of those uh, optical illusion paintings. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. look at it and you're supposed to see what you're supposed to care about. <laughs> uh, the be- number, my number two is the beginning doesn't work today because Kevin Spacey is such a big actor. The voice you hear coming from the shadow that's supposed to be Kaiser Sose is Kevin Spacey. Yeah, it gives it away. Yeah, so... If you know who he is now, you kind of figure it out. And my number one is, just like JC said, this movie could not happen in today's internet age. It is a period piece. This should be marketed as a period piece as in the pre-internet period. Mm-hmm. Before cell phones were popular, before you could just jump on and go, okay, do we have a camera in that area, digital footage? That all would have been on this boat. Yeah. And it's not. And there's no cameras anywhere on the docks. Today, you wouldn't find a dock without a camera on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th- those are my three, but I, I look at my three and I think to myself, if it's a period piece, then that's okay. I got to get used to the fact that I've lived now through a few periods of time and that's hard to get through because I'm probably messy. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> 1995 is a separate period. It's the grunge period. Dude. Dude. Uh, who is the audience for this movie? Uh, Joel? I would say nineties fans, people that want to see a movie that truly like if you're looking at movies that you need to see from a decade as far as for this genre, I would think this is probably one of those. Okay. Um, I would say people that enjoy a whodunit that, um, that love twists. Mm-hmm. This is a great movie for them. However, if they're listening to this podcast, they're not going to get the same effect from it because, well, we just told them how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not going to get the twist. Um, but no, if people that like the twist, um, it's a good movie for them. All right. JC, how about you? People who have never heard of it. That's, so, that's so, very fair. So, so, yeah, nobody that's ever listened to our podcast, yeah, don't go watch this because you've already had it ruined. But, yes, it, it doesn't matter if you're 90s, all of this. If you've never heard of this movie, mm-hmm. it, you're the audience for it. Ooh. If, yeah. That's, that's yeah. it. Spacey fans. People that like, really like House of Cards and they're like, oh, I really like Kevin Spacey. I, I, he must be a new guy. Yeah. Like kids today. Um, yeah, he's been in stuff before. Um, so <laughs> what? People that, people that keep binging House of Cards and things like that, I think they should go back and watch this to see kind of like where he started. And to me, he only did a couple, he only did a couple like notable movies before this. Yeah. If th- that. Th- this movie led to a space con, if you will. He did seven after this. Yep. You know, another small role that was big in yeah. that movie. That's another movie I'm really mad that... Sucks. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> Actually, no, I'm not mad. Uh, another twist movie. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, for me, 
And I'm like, I put in here people who enjoy mysteries and film noir, but you both touched on something which is interesting, people who've never seen it. And I'm trying to think, which people would be most affected by this ending? And I think to myself, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Because they wouldn't pay because attention enough. They haven't seen enough movies to get the references that would have led to the ending. And it's fresh in their minds that you can go, hey, you want to see a cool movie with some cool dialogue that you'll probably say not around your parents? Yeah. Here's a movie. And those kids would appreciate this. This is a great teenage yeah. film. Yes. You would, you would also have to take their phones away, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they put would your just, phones in the box you before we turn on the movie. They would just Google the ending. No, no, not even that. This is a movie I was telling Joe uh, before the show. I was, I was watching this movie... And I'm real. I'm trying to do like a really good job of like purely like just focusing on the movie, setting time aside, not doing any other work, anything. And I had a like one of my roommates walked in. I turned, said, "Oh, hey, watching the Usual Suspects." And I turned back around, and in the four seconds that I turned over to say hi and turn back, a thing flashed on the screen that said six weeks ago. And so we were watching. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> He's missing every timestamp. Because I missed the timestamps. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why I kept rewinding back. So there, I've talked to uh, a couple kids about a diff- couple different movies, and now I'm telling them, like, with Game of Thrones and stuff like that, I said, yeah, you, like, I think you might enjoy this, but you, you have to, to realize you need to, like, time. be mindful and pay attention. And, I like, I hate that I'm part of this generation, um, like the Nintendo generation. I'm glad to not be in the iPad generation. Yeah. But... There are flashes and there are lights all around us, and it sucks. And I'm hope I'm glad that I at least have the awareness to notice. Like, yes, I'm affected by it. I don't want to be. Yeah. Um, but it is a thing that you have to like almost like attack head on, and you have to say, I am not going to have my phone with this. It is okay that I don't respond to everyone immediately. It's okay that I don't check my notifications. I, it's okay if I don't check my email. Yeah. Um, because my personality is one that I love. Like, I always, I just always stay busy and. Like, I want to, like, make sure my emails are taken care of and that things for work are finished. But going back to my very first show, movies are meant to entertain. Mm-hmm. It, it's not meant to be work. So sit down, put things aside, enjoy the movie. I, we need to – and this is a movie, like, you can't, you can't be multitasking. Yeah. You have to pay attention. You have to watch this movie. It reminds me of when, we, when JC and I did Ex Machina. We talked about that, and you, you, I think JC said something. This is a movie where you cannot not... You have to be ready for an information dump, if you will, because you have to pay attention to every detail. If you don't, you miss something. Yeah. Uh, okay, movie report card, A, B, C, D, or F, in the mystery feature genre. Gentlemen, give us a grade and some comments that defend your grade. Joel. Ooh, okay. So, <clears throat> mystery feature film genre. I looked up mystery movies... And there really weren't a ton that I saw that I was like, oh, that's, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Um, I think the twist at the end was great. Um, again, I've already mentioned the things I think are great about this movie. I'm, gonna, I'm giving this a B plus. The storyline, it's good. Um, the twist at the end is amazing. And I want to like emphasize the twist was great. Um, but even still now, I can't really remember why he put all of it together for to kill one guy, right? One guy that could identify. He wanted to kill the one guy that could identify him. Yeah. There's no other way to do that. Like, I've seen more like '80s and early '90s mob movies. Like, there's a guy that can do that for you. Like, he'll take care. Of, he'll kill that guy. Um. So at the end, I was just like. 
that was a lot of work for one guy. Um, but the, and like, it was, it's honestly some of like the line reading, things like that is what pushed it from being like a perfect film in my eyes. But it is, it's a very, very good movie. Like it is, I appreciate it. And I'm honestly, I'm going to go back and watch it. But the reason it gets a B plus for me is I had so many questions and there were moments where I was confused and I was thinking, I was like, what am I supposed to be caring about in this movie? If you want a movie that like, it is an A if you're just looking for like trying to figure something out the entire time. Um, but from the film standpoint and like bringing me in, having me try to like care about someone in the movie, like I didn't really care about anybody in it. Um, the entire time I was just trying to think, how is Kevin Spacey going to be revealed? And that was what was on my mind. Um, but again, the interrogation scenes were great. The twist at the end, one is like one of the best twists in any movie. Um, I think it goes along with, um, I like, again, I've said it before. It's, this is not an A film, but, uh, the movie devil, I thought that was like a cool twist movie or, um, crash is a great twist movie. I don't think that would be considered a mystery. I think that's more of a drama with a twist. Um, it's a movie I do. I want to see again. Um, but it was not, I always said like my A standard is like whiplash, a movie that's like, if I watch it again, it's because I was like, I have to watch that right now. Um, this is a movie that I want to go back and watch because I appreciate so much more now listening to you guys talk about it and hearing more about it. And now that I have a full more, a bigger understanding of what the movie was supposed to be, I do want to go back because I started watching it a second time and the, the beginning made more sense. And the dialogue between characters and Spacey's facial expressions, they made more sense. And it's, it's a very cool movie to watch a second time. Um, but the first time was so confusing to me. I couldn't tell what was reality, what was fake. Um, and it was just hard for me to follow, but I do want like anybody listening to hear it's like, I I'm saying this stuff because I have to give a reason to knock down to a B plus, but a B plus is still B is above average. I think this is a very above average film. It's a very, very good film. Um, I think it is worth watching if you want to get a movie that has a great twist at the end. All right, JC, what are you giving this? Uh, I'm giving it a B plus for mainly for the reasons that I've I've already mentioned. There were the three things I didn't like, but my main reason for knocking this down to above average is after you watch it, let's say three times, would you watch it again? And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you would watch it after three times of watching it. You watch it the first time, Joel's right. It's incredibly confusing. You watch it the second time to see if everything plays out. Then you watch it a third time to maybe critique it a little bit more. After that, you would probably only be watching it with someone who hasn't seen it. You would probably only pull it out if you were watching with somebody else that hasn't seen it. So if this isn't a movie that I'm going to be like, yeah, you know what? I got to watch The Usual Suspects again, man. Like, no, that's... I haven't seen it since college because I already knew the ending. So what was the point in watching the movie again? Well, there is a point because you want to see if you can if it's still as good as you remember. So it is a good movie, but when it's only a good movie three times, maybe four? I I don't know. And and maybe it should actually even be a B, but it's still such a good, well, well-made movie. Like it's not a bad movie. It's just not one you see more than three or four times. So B plus. All right. Well, here comes my essay. <laughs> uh, when it comes to the dialogue itself, I think this movie's timeless. Uh, the characters are memorable and unique. 
Uh, the direction is a way, is way above board for a second time shot by Singer. I mean, this is his second movie ever. He ends up doing the X-Men franchise later on. Uh, but what makes this movie a classic isn't all of these things. The real element that wins in this film is the story itself. Christopher McQuarrie has served up a masterpiece mystery that reveals only as much as Verbal Kint is willing to allow you to see. It isn't until Agent Kuyan puts together his theory of Dean Keaton as Kaiser Soze that you start to appreciate what McQuarrie did, especially since it's then revealed that it was never Keaton and the whole story was fabricated by the ingenious, infamous, and completely unassuming Verbal Kent. Kevin Spacey and Chaz Palminteri play off each other magnificently in a game of tiger and mouse. I say tiger because by the end, you realize how far off Kuyan is from his objective. For Brian Singer's second film, he truly shows he belongs in the big leagues. He directed actors who wanted to work together, got substandard performances, but through editing and choice, picked the performances that would give the most leverage to the story. The lineup scene was a complete disaster. He chose all of the goof-ups to make the lineup scene. It was supposed to be a much more serious scene. Smart move. Uh, there are so many memorable scenes. The lineup, the kidnapping of Kobayashi, the reveal of Keaton, the reveal of Kent as Soze. You are hard-pressed to pick your favorite. However, this movie has something going for it that tends to overshadow the rest of the story when it comes to remembering this film. The twist at the end is so huge, it left audiences jaw-dropped and still has impact today. Even to the point that if you ask people if they've seen this movie and they say no, you immediately want them to see it and are worried to describe it because you don't want to give anything away. That makes this movie perfect in my eyes. Every detail matters. Every character matters. Every plot device matters. And I give it an A. Okay, so a B plus, a B plus, and an A averages out to a 10.667 or a B plus average. So that means it's going into the Pantheon with a B plus in the number one slot. And as we fill this up, obviously, we'll see if some other movies end up pushing the usual suspects out. So if this movie was released on Blu-ray, would you buy it, bin it, stream it, borrow it, or forget about it, Joel? Um, I'm going to say borrow it. I think that it is a better movie than stream it. Mm-hmm. And so and like, if this is your cup of tea, it is definitely like a bin it or buy it. But I say borrow it because of this. This is a movie that you watch and you want to talk about with a friend. Yeah. I say borrow it so that you have somebody to talk to about it. So you have to return it, explain like what we did today. Um, this is a very like... This is very like connecting movie, I guess. You can watch it by yourself and appreciate it and enjoy it. But I do think this is a movie that's a little bit better if you can have a friend to like analyze it with. Because all three of us took away something very different from this movie. Oh, yeah. Our goods and bads, like for the first time, were very, very different. <laughs> um, maybe not for the first time. Uh, Two Towers was <laughs> pretty different. <laughs> but um, this is this is a very good movie to talk to a friend about. Mm-hmm. And so I say borrow it because of that. All right, JC? And jumping off that, mine is bin it, then gift it. It is worth seeing. Okay. It is totally worth seeing. So you should go buy it. Don't go pay full price. You'll find it in a bin or you'll find it someplace. Well, once you buy it, watch it your couple times by yourself and then give it to somebody else. Like go find a friend and give it to them so they see it. And I'm going to say buy it because this movie is legendary and everybody should see this at some point and you should put it on your shelf so you can show it to generations and generations and generations. But that's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we will be doing the mystery genre again with Joel's nomination, The Prestige, uh, with Joel, JC, and myself. 
Uh, you can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook and Twitter and follow the Instagram. And the opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Go watch The Prestige. Thanks for listening and happy movie watching. <laughs>